Okay. Hey man, well done, babe. <laughs> She's trying to take my job. <laughs> Good morning, family. Good morning, friends. Trust you are well, warm this morning. And God is good. And all the time, God is good. Amen. Thanks for the offering talk, babe. Uh, spoken from someone who is a giver, not just to uh, the ministry, but uh, she's taught me how to give. And uh, she, she does such a good job teaching me how to give that every now and again she has to say, wait, 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 you're giving too much. <laughs> We're giving too much. So be a river and don't be a swamp. Amen. Amen. If you've had more than four hours sleep, please turn to your neighbor and say you're blessed. <laughs> you're blessed. <laughs> you're blessed. Okay. And a little buddy whispered in my ear that uh, we've had some birthday celebrations this, uh, this weekend. Judy! Judy Boucher, <laughs> happy birthday, Judy, and Dio, is Dio your birthday today? Yeah, 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 happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, and I pray that you really have a blessed, blessed year, God bless you and prosper you, can I ask you just to stand, Judy and uh, Dio, we just want to pray a blessing over you, uh, for those of you, don't just sit by, just stretch out your hands. We need all the prayer we can get. Amen. Father, I thank you for Dio and Judy, for their lives, for sparing them through the rough season we've had with COVID and flus and viruses and stomach bugs and who knows what. Thank you for protecting them. Thank you for keeping them, providing for them and their families. And I pray, Lord, that your mercy and your grace and your blessing will be like an ever-increasing light over their lives in the name of Jesus. Do for them over and above what they expect and ask for. Let their tents burst at the seams. Let them know your favor and your presence in their lives in the name of Jesus. And the church of God says, Amen. Amen. Family, um, Zue and I and the kids will be making a trip this evening to Durban. Please keep us in prayer. Uh, one of the members in our congregation decided to get married in Durban. <laughs> so we're just going down to officiate the wedding. And um, if, as you know, Krenvel and Sarisha, they'll be getting married on the 30th uh, of this month. And uh, we'll, we'll return, uh, I think, the second, second or third of May. But we have a powerful preacher lined up for Sunday service. Amen. Uh, so please invite friends and family, invite a foe if you have to. Uh, God's going to do a mighty work. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6, and let's read from verses 10 to 18. You are all familiar with this passage of Scripture. I'm simply titling this message, The Sword of the Spirit. The Sword of the Spirit. When you in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, please give me an amen. Let me know that you're still there. I'll wait for a few more amens. <laughs> Can I get one more amen? Hey, those amens are very soft, family. 
Hey, guys, you know, preaching, preaching should not be a monologue. All the time, it should be a dialogue, you know, it should be some kind of participation. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, and we're reading from verses 10. Finally, my brethren, Paul, Paul's writing this towards the end of what he has to say to the church of Ephesus. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He's being emphatic about it. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day because there is an evil day approaching. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Not some of the darts, but all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith is your defense. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit because the sword belongs to the Spirit. And he says, I'm giving you this weapon that belongs to me. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer is included as part of the armory. Paul lists for us. Five pieces of armor that are defensive. The helmet of salvation. The feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. And the shield of faith. All those are defensive. But he lists for us two weaponry that are offensive. The sword of the spirit and prayer. The sword of the spirit and prayer. That's why... When the kingdom of God was expanding in the book of Acts and growing and the church was growing and, and Peter and, and, and John became preoccupied with every administrative issue in the church and they said, wait, 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 this, this is too much. So they delegated deacons and elders to get involved in the church and they said, we must prioritize prayer and the ministry of the word. And so he says, take up the sword of the spirit and that's what we will be talking about this morning family can we pray heavenly father we bless you we thank you that we could be in your presence we love your presence there's no place we'd rather be but in your presence speak to our hearts this morning challenge our hearts this morning let us not leave here the same we ask in jesus mighty name amen I love that song we sang earlier and it kind of confirmed part of what I wanted to share this morning. Bible tells us 
in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void. And darkness covered the face of the earth. The earth was without form and was this watery, desolate abyss. And the Bible says, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And some Hebrew scholars say that in the original Hebrew language and text, God actually said, light. Just screamed light and there was light. And when God had said, let there be light, the Spirit of God responded to the Word of God and renewed the face of the earth. I find it interesting that Scripture wastes no time in introducing to us the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep and the Hebrew picture with the term hovering is a picture of a hen brooding over her eggs in anticipation of the hatching of the eggs and so the spirit of god is brooding over the face of the deep and the first acquaintance we have of this of the spirit of god the first thing we presented about the spirit of god is that here he is working with dead elements he's working with what's desolate. He's working with what's shapeless and without form. Bible says in Psalm 104 and verse 30, David saying, Lord, you send you forth your spirit and everything is created. And you, you renew the face of the earth. All of creation owes its existence to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again. All of creation owes its existence to the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit was moving over the waters, come move over us, come rest on us, come rest on us. Come on, you know the song. As the Spirit was moving over the waters, Spirit move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. So come down. Spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're here and I know that you're moving. I'm here and I know that you fill me. All of creation owes its existence to the moving and brooding of the Holy Spirit. You owe your existence to the Holy Spirit. You are His creation. He created you. Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that the Lord God Himself from the dust of the earth formed man. And He breathed into His nostrils the Ruach breath of God, the spirit of life, and man became a living being. 
That's why Job said in chapter 33 and verse 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord has made me, and the breath of God has given me life. You are his greatest masterpiece. You are his product. He made you in his image and in his likeness. No wonder David declared in Psalm 139, he says, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. That my soul knows very well. It's like um, what a poet once said, an Irish poet. He said, when God made the stars, he said it was good. When he made the galaxies and the moons, he said it was good. But when he fashioned and formed the earth, he blushed. Because man is the apex of his creation. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. Jesus would not be here apart from the Holy Spirit. But the angel Gabriel came to Mary, stood before Mary and said, Woman, thou art highly favored of the Lord. You are about to conceive the Holy One who will be the Son of God. And Mary said, But how shall these things be? I have never been with a man. If you know King James Bible language, it was really downplaying. <laughs> we said, I've never been with a man. And Gabriel said, The Spirit of the Lord will come over you and overshadow you. The power of the Most High will come upon you and you will conceive the Holy One of Israel. Jesus was a child of the Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit the agent of creation, but the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, a religious man, and he says, Rabbi, no one can do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus did not waste any time he says, unless a man is born again, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. For that which is born of water and born of spirit can enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. Essentially, we're saying you must be born by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in John chapter 16, that Jesus said, when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgments. Ephesians chapter 4 says, that it's by the Holy Spirit that we are sealed against the day of redemption. He is a deposit and guarantee of eternal life. And that seal of the Holy Spirit speaks of ownership. That seal speaks of authenticity. The seal of the Holy Spirit tells God that you are His. And there's one thing I've ever appreciated in my life, it was the presence of God. It was the presence of God. I grew up in church. I lived with my grandparents since a very, very young age. And I've been to church religiously, Sunday after Sunday, youth meeting after youth meeting. I used to have one pair of jeans, and my granny used to still force me to go to, to youth, and I hated it. 
But she says, you go, you don't have a choice. Yeah. And I, I did it religiously, mechanically, time after time. I never missed a single service. Never missed a single service. Then I got into my adolescence. And I used to visit Johannesburg and I bumped into my cousin Roscoe. Roscoe was also naughty back then. He taught me how to roll a joint. <laughs> he taught me how to drink black label. 14 years old. And I was this lost boy. And I was miserable. And yes, I never missed a service. But there's one day, just one day, out of all those years, I found myself in church religiously. And here I was a visiting preacher. And for the first time, I heard the gospel. The first time I can tell you, I heard the gospel. And one thing that was impressed upon my heart in that meeting was the presence of God. I cannot tell you what he preached, but I remember the experience. Man, that, that church auditorium was, was so packed with the presence of God. It felt like we were being squeezed outside of the doors and windows. And there I was listening to the gospel for the first time. And the presence of God just came right over me. And I asked myself, what made the difference? I've been to church. It was the presence of God. And then a year later, I found myself in a church service. And the presence of God was there again. I was visiting an AFM church. And the presence of God was there in a special way. And when the service was halfway done, we were all on the floor, slain in the spirit. And I got up speaking in tongues for the first time. The presence of God. A friend of mine played for us some time back, I think for a funeral service. Will tell you there's a time he was walking past the church in Peter Marisburg, Woodlands Road. He's walking down drunk. In a drunk stupor, he's walking down, passing the church, and there's worship music playing, and the Spirit of God comes over him in his drunk state. And he takes a U-turn back into the church, comes to the altar, gives his heart to Jesus, and today he's a pastor in the East Rand. Oh, I wish Grandma was here, but that man's in love. He'll tell you about how he, he traveled the world in a backslidden state. One day found himself in the club. He shared this in our Tuesday devotions. Man, I wish you didn't miss Tuesday devotions. But he shared this in Tuesday devotions of how he's drunk and he's drinking at the bar in the club in, in London. And while he's drinking, another drunk old topi comes and says, Young man, why don't you serve God? What are you doing? You don't belong here. This uncle didn't know him from a bar of blue soap. And Grimble said the Holy Spirit came right there and then in a club. You can't keep him out of the clubs. Yeah. You know how many stories I can tell you of friends that were in the club, in strip clubs. And the Holy Spirit paid a visit. His omnipresence. David said, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. 
If I hide in the depths of the sea, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, even there your hand will guide me. You can't hide from the Holy Spirit. He's omnipresent. Just because he, he enters a room does not mean that he left another. He can be everywhere all the time. I can tell you stories about I'm busy driving and the Holy Spirit just shows up in the car. Shows up in, in such a way I wish I had wipers over my eyes to see where I'm going. Some years ago I'm standing with a friend and we and we talk into this, this lady and she's so lost. And this friend Dero and I begin to, to tell her about the cross of Jesus and what Jesus done for her. And the Holy Spirit just comes and we all start weeping. Holy Spirit comes in such a way we lead her to the, to the Lord on the side of the street. And today she's serving the Lord, happily married, three beautiful kids. The presence of the Lord is so real to me, family. I'll admit, I'll be the first one to admit, he's, he's mysterious and elusive and sometimes he doesn't leave footprints in the sand. But when he moves, you know that something is different about the service, something is different about the conversation. Not only is he the agent of creation and the agent of regeneration, but he is the author of the scriptures. That means every time you read your Bible, you read the words penned by the Holy Spirit. Every time you quote the scriptures, you quote the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1 says that prophecy referring to the scriptures did not come by private interpretation or by the will of man. But prophecy came when holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine. That's what to believe. And is profitable for reproof. That's what not to believe. And is profitable for correction. That's what not to do. And profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's what, that's what to do. That the man of God may be complete and perfected and thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't know how he did it, but he inspired over 40 different authors over a span of 2,000 years, over three different continents, in three different languages, Aramic, Hebrew, and Greek. I don't know how he did it. Some were, some were, were kings, some were shepherds, some were fishermen, some were cupbearers. Some were in prison, some were in exile, some were in palaces, some were in caves. I don't know how he did it, but somehow he inspired all these authors to give us what we have today. The B-I-B-L-E, the Word of God. Anybody who tells you this book contradicts itself has never studied the scriptures. It's a book that complements itself. And so Paul encourages us and reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, there's a war. 
Put on the whole armor of God. The day you became a Christian, the day you came into the kingdom of God, was the day you were enlisted into a war. An all full-scale war. If you didn't know that, I'm going to remind you that this is no cruise ship. This is a battleship. And it's a full-scale war, war out on your faith. The devil wants your faith. He attacks your family because he wants your faith. Yes. He doesn't want your money. <laughs> he doesn't no interest in you. Only reason why he attacks your finances is because he wants your faith. Yes. The only reason why he attacks your marriage is because he wants your faith. Faith is the most precious commodity in the earth. So precious and so scarce, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so he comes at your kids. He comes at your home. He comes in this nation to remove faith and to undermine the authority of the Word of God. Because the very moment God said to Adam, you shall not eat from that tree, you can eat from everywhere else, all the other trees, the bananas, the pears, the grapes, the lychees, you can eat everything, but don't touch those prickly pears. Don't touch that tree. And Satan came and said, did God really say? Did he really say? He got man to question his word. He got man to doubt. And unbelief settled in the hearts of men. You ask preacher man, who are we fighting? What are we fighting? We are in a multi-dimensional war. And your first adversary is Satan. Bible calls him that old serpent. Revelations calls him that ancient dragon. Paul called him the ruler of this age, the god of this world. Lucifer, the accuser of the brethren, who the Bible says goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John called him in Revelations the angel of the abyss. We are at war against this old serpent. We are at war against the world and its system because he's the ruler of this age and the systems of this world. That's why John tells us in his letter, he says, Love not the world or the things in the world. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's why Jesus prayed and said, Lord, I don't take them out of this world, for they are in the world, but they are not of this world. And so the systems and values of this world are at war with us. You just need to think about the interest and the bond and know that the devil is in it. Yeah. <laughs> you could have bought three, four houses with that interest. And not only are we at war against the world and its values and systems, and adversary, the accuser of the prison, but we are at war within ourselves. There's an invisible war within each and every single one of us. Yeah. Like some of the preachers like to say, the enemy is the enemy. That's why Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, he says, crucify your flesh and its passions and lusts. 
We've got to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We are at war within ourselves. And so in this war, our weapon of offense is the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works by the Word of God. Say this after me. The Word of God, the word of God does the work of God, the of God by the Spirit of God. The Word of God does the work of God by the Spirit of God. The other place where the Word of God is referenced as a sword is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, where the Bible says, For the Word of the Lord is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between joint and marrow, soul and spirit and is a discerner in the thoughts of the intents of our hearts the other place where the word of god is referenced as a sword is when john has a vision of jesus in revelation chapter one and he says his hair is like white as snow and his feet are as bronze and his eyes were like flames of fire and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword that's why when Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says that when the people heard Peter, they were cut to the heart. And they came and asked, Peter, what must we do to be saved? Because the word of God cuts and pierces. It's interesting to note that when the Bible says, take up the sword of the spirit, is that the Greek term used for the word sword is not that long sword that you picture in your head with the uh, what's the move with the what's it, King Charles and what's it? Excalibur. <laughs> Excalibur it's not that kind of sword the sword and the term used in the Greek is the term used for the Roman sword which is called the gladius okay the interesting thing about the gladius was that it has such a tapered point, it could even pierce through armor. That's how sharp and strong the sword was. The other interesting thing about this sword is that it was a short sword, which means if you are going to use it, it must be in a per close personal confrontation, hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was short, bladed, easy to draw, and quick to combat with. Imagine going into a draw, a, a fight, a sword fight, and yet Dean, you pulling out this long sword. Shh. By the time you draw your sword, you're already dead. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Roman sword was designed as gladius to be short and sharp and effective for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And it was said back then of the Roman gladius that this was the sword that conquered the known world. The fight we face on a day-to-day -day basis is a personal one. It's a close confrontational fight. It's personal. When our kids come back from school and they start telling me about 
how they learned about evolution. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. No. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When the kids come back from school and say, hey, we were formed from this primordial soup that came up from the ocean and, stopped and came across some stardust and by some random events of natural selection, mankind came to being. I said, it takes more absurd faith to believe in such nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Luther said, I fear that one day even schools and educational facilities will become the very gates of hell. Every now and again I hear my kids singing a song and I, what did you sing? Because he's influenced the music. He's influenced the educational system. He's influenced the TV programs. He's influenced Disney. It's not safe to leave your kids alone with the Disney Channel anymore. There's a full-scale war against your home. In order to use this weapon, you need to be trained and skilled. You don't put a blade into the hand of a child. You have to develop some kind of skill and experience in order to quickly draw the sword. And, and sometimes that's the difference between success or failure. That's the difference between overcoming temptation or not is being able to quickly draw the sword. I tell the story often, I hope my wife doesn't mind, but I was a 16 year old kid leading a youth. She's laughing. <laughs> As I'm leading the youth, and there was this revival happening in the youth meeting. This is a weird kind of revival because the moment I became a youth leader, you know, the youth was 60, 70 young people in the congregational church. And then when I became youth leader, I just started preaching. <laughs> I didn't worry about gays. I just started preaching and we were just worshipping. And the youth dropped from 60, 70 kids to like 10 kids. And, and the, at the AGM, you know, the elders were like, hey, we need to do something with the youth. Hey, doesn't the new youth is, is going anywhere. And one elder stood up and defended me and said, hey, but I'll tell you one thing about those 10 kids in that youth. they all saved and serving the Lord. He says, we're having Gideon's revival there in the youth. And so while this move of God was happening, in the youth, hey, those, those, those 60 kids were naughty. They played spin the bottle on the church premises. Can you believe it? <laughs> they got to do all kinds of tricks on the church property. <laughs> it was rough. But somehow when I got there, you know, God started to, to move, you know, sort of give the hearts to the Lord. And then one evening, hey man, this pretty girl comes up to me. And I'm just timid. Oh boy, baggy jeans, dirty sneakers. Then he's to cut my hair. And this girl, she's like four or five years older than me, and she's in the youth, and she says, hey, you know what? Uh, when I had this dream of you, hey, uh, and uh, yeah, she begins to unravel this mysterious dream, and she's 
looks at me with those bubbly bubbly eyes and hearts in her eyes and she says you're the one and i'm like oh lord this girl is so pretty my knees started to buckle and i'm telling the story for the youth eh <laughs> the youth that's in the sun and my knees began to buckle and I'm, I'm, I'm praying I'm praying those fast internal I'm like Lord she's so pretty I can't do this I'm gonna fail I'm sorry Lord I really I really I really but it's a pilot seat I really checked to the seat I'm like I Lord I'm God <laughs> and right then and because I had such a love for the word of God I had such a love for the scriptures you know the scripture came to me you know what Jesus told si uh, Peter? He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. you know? And in that moment, I won't tell a word of a lie. It's like I heard the audible voice of God say, Bevan, Bevan, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat, but I've interceded for you. The word of God just came into my heart and I developed this courage and strength out of nowhere. And I was about to give my big no thank you. And then by some God incidents, her mother comes to collect them. <laughs> but in every situation and circumstance in my life, what has saved me at times was a knowledge of the scriptures. Because it's, it's the material that the Holy Spirit can use. He brings it back to remembrance. So your duty as a believer is to develop a discipline of reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God. That when it comes to those vulnerable moments, when it comes to those temp tempting moments, when it comes to those moments where you, you wouldn't give yourself the benefit of the doubt, you'll surprise yourself. The Holy Spirit will show up. And that which you've meditated on, He'll use as a weapon in His hand. And the reason why I say this is because when the Bible says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the term for word is the word rhema. And if you are a Bible scholar or you've done some Bible reading or if you've been in church for a while, you know that there's primarily two references for the, for the Word of God in Greek. It's Logos and it's Rhema. But there's a third word. The third word is Graphe. So Graphe means writings. You know? It means writings, sacred writings. It means... You know, what's printed on a book or what's printed on a scroll. And then you have the Logos, which means the logic of God, the principle of God. You know, and the Logos also refers to the message of the graphe, the message of the writings. And it also refers to Jesus. In the beginning was the Logos and the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. But when the Bible speaks of Rhema, it speaks about the utterances of God's word. The, the spoken word, the word that comes to you by utterance. And so he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. I'm convinced that the reason we have dirty lives is because we have dusty Bibles. We've neglected to read our Bibles. When was the last time you read the scriptures? When was the last time you tried to commit to memory the scriptures? 
often are you engaged in Bible study, personal Bible study? Do you listen to sermons? Not just my sermons, but do you listen to sermons every week? You know, technology has made life so easy today for Christians. We, we spoiled for choice. We've got so many options. And perhaps the problem is we have choices and options, you know. But you can get the Bible on audio in dramatized version. You can even get Samuel L. Jackson speaking on um, the Bible experience. It's called the Bible experience. All the actors of Hollywood had deep, bassy voice. You can even find that Bible audio. The dramatized version where you hear donkeys going, <laughs> sheep, you, even when they bang the nails into the palms of Jesus, you hear the banging of the nails. There's, there's so many ways of getting the Word of God into you. You can download some of it on Spotify, there's free audio. You got Bible software. You got the Bible in so many different translations, countless translations. In paraphrases like the message that, that Zuway just read. We are losing the battle for our faith because we've dropped our sword. We've neglected the scriptures. My dream is you know, I think we'll see revival when we start seeing in our youth meetings, not just in our youth meetings, but in our youth meetings across the nation, when our youth come to meetings with Bibles. Gideon, when I was in school, I used to carry this, uh, you know, the Gideon's Bible, the blue Bible. And we did that religiously. We put on our top left pocket. And uh, whenever people see us, they'll say, hey, it's the brothers, hide away. I think it's spoken in the previous, like, ah, hide away. <laughs> and so we read that little Gideon New Testament. We underlined it, we scribbled it, we made notes in that small Bible. You know, we memorized so much of the scriptures uh, from that small Gideon Bible. But in the beginning of the Gideon's Bible is a beautiful tribute that I want to read for you. And it says, the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map. It's the pilgrim's staff. It's the pilot's compass. It's the soldier's sword and the Christian's charter. Here too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is his grand subject. Our good design, the glory of God is end. It should fill our memory, rule our hearts, and guide our feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, 
a paradise of glory and the river of pleasure. It was given to you in this life and will be opened at the judgments and it will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and it will condemn all those who trifle with its sacred contents. The Word of God. Some of us have not heard the voice of God in such a long time. All you need to do is pick up your Bible. He's saying, Lord, speak to me. And God's saying, I've, I've given you my word. And you know what happens when you begin to read the word of God? The more you read the word of God, the more you discover the word of God reads you. The word of God searches your heart and shows you things about yourself you never knew. And shows you things about God you never knew. And shows you things about the world you never knew. If you read the Bible long enough, it will put you in hearing range of hearing the voice of God. You begin to hear him speak and you'll begin to experience what Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's my challenge to you this morning, family. Read your Bibles. Study your Bibles. Pick up the sword of the Spirit. Commit it to memory. Some of you have sweet memories of how you were young and you used to memorize the, the scriptures. Get into that habit of reading the scriptures and memorizing the scriptures. There's just one last thing. I'm sorry, babe. One last thing and then and I'm out of your hair. We always speak about how Jesus, uh, you know, the miracles he performed. You know, we speak about how he preached and the parables that he taught. We always highlight those things about the life of Jesus that's a model to us. But just one thing I want to highlight for you is how Jesus quoted the scriptures. Okay, This is how Jesus quoted this, the scriptures. When he was tempted by Satan, you know where he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, you shall worship the Lord your God only, and, he, and him will you serve. Um, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He quotes the three passages of scriptures there. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Deuteronomy 6, 16, and Deuteronomy 6, 13. During his Sermon on the Mount, which every scholar praises, he quoted Exodus 20, he quoted the Sixth and Seventh Commandment. In Nazareth, when he's preaching, he quotes from Isaiah 61, uh, all the, that entire passage he quotes, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to, to preach glad tidings to the poor and to set the captives free. When the Pharisees come and confront him, and he's in this confrontation with the Pharisees because they say, How can you associate yourself with sinners? He quotes from Isaiah Chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And then when, when they ask him questions about marriage, he quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then during his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, in his last week before he's about to be temptation, he quotes from, it, uh, before he's about to be crucified, he quotes from Psalms chapter 8 verse 2, and he says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, I have ordained praise. And then when he cleanses the temple, and he overturns the tables, because his money changes, turning the house of God into a den of thieves, he quotes from Isaiah 56 verse 7, and he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Even there on the cross while he's dying, he quotes two passages of scripture. One, in Psalm 22 verse 1, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he 
quotes Psalm 31 verse 5, Into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. It said that more, over 20% of the time, Jesus quoted the Old Testament scriptures. He navigated every season of his life and he quoted the scriptures where it was relevant. Let's get into that practice and habit. Whenever you're faced with a challenge, draw your sword. When you're faced with your greatest fears, draw the sword and quote the word of God. Quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, all the time, every time is no one help you. <laughs> Quoting motivational sayings and saying, believe in yourself, is not going to help you all the time. You need to learn how to draw the sword and quote the word of God. And next time you're the doctor and the doctor says, oh, it looks like there are viruses going to cause some havoc on your life. And it's not looking good and pretty. You quote Isaiah 55. You say, by his stripes I'm healed. Healing is his children's bread. I'm, I'm his child. You know? when, 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 you, when your boss gives you the retrenchment news, you say he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. My job is not my source. It's the channel for the source. My source is God. He shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. Let's get into that practice and habit and discipline of quoting and speaking the rhema word of God. You look, some of you look at your home and you say, it is in such a mess. You quote the word of God and say, if one is saved in a household, all shall be saved. You just keep quoting the word of God. And you know, I love possibly so much. Um, you know, we, uh, I'm talking too much now, but there was a time we, we, were, we were having a gathering and, and when someone saw him come in and approach to say, oh, here comes this man. All he talks about is the Bible, the Bible. <laughs> and they said it in such a bad way. But I said to myself, it's such an honor to be known as a walking Bible. <laughs> because most, most of the world is not going to read their Bible. They'll read the Christian before they read the Bible. So we might as well present it to them. Amen. 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 Can we stand, family? Thank you for giving me a bit of extra time. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've, we've heard it said that you cannot take the donkey to the river and force the donkey to drink from the river. But I've also heard it said that you can. You just give that donkey Epsom salts and it creates in that donkey a thirst for the water. I pray, Lord, that in some small way you create a thirst and a hunger from this message for us to read your word again, to pick up the sword of the Spirit, to apply it to our lives, to study the word of God, to search the word of God. Lord, some of the greatest warfare I've ever had in my life were, were around just trying to read the scriptures. I know some of you are here and you, you have the same experience. And I'll tell you this, that 
the greatest warfare. You don't even see that as a warfare. The moment you decide, I'm going to read the Bible. The moment you decide, I'm going to start studying my Bible again, is the moment fatigue will get you. Is the moment someone will give you a call, your phone will go off. It's the moment your favorite television program will start being advertised on TV or some circumstantial event will rise up the moment you try to read your, your Bible because there's so much warfare that goes on around the man or woman who decides to pick up the Word of God and believe it. And so Lord, I pray that you give us a hunger for your Word again. You stir up our first love. Let us, if for those of us, Lord, who don't have Bibles, let us not settle for applications on our phone. Let's go buy printed Bibles, personalize it and customize it and use highlighters and underline and make notes. Help us fall in love with your, with your word, Lord. First thing when we get home later, Lord, in our spare time, help us not to loaf around like we work for Albany in front of the TV and help us to pick up the Bible and not just read a verse or two. Help us to cover landscape to read chapters upon chapters. Help us to read it repeatedly. Help us to read it prayerfully. Lord, so many of us are looking for answers to complex issues in our lives. And it's all there in the user manual. So many of us are looking for peace. And it's all in your word. So many of us are looking for strong faith to fight the battles that we encounter and we know Lord, that faith comes by the hearing of your word help us to fall in love with your word again and help us to be like trained soldiers in close hand-to-hand -hand combat using the word of God effectively not to cut and pierce our brothers and sisters no Lord to fight against the powers and principalities of darkness and the wiles of the enemy in Jesus name and everybody says amen and amen amen you know amen